Welcome to the Adoption and Foster Care Journey, a podcast to encourage, educate, and equip you to care for children and youth through adoption, foster, and kinship care. Hosted by an adoptive mom with over 22 years of kinship and adoptive parenting experience, she's on this journey with you. Please welcome Sandra Flack. If you know people who have wandered off from God's truth, don't write them off. Go after them, get them back, and you will have rescued precious lives from destruction. That is James chapter 5, verse 20. Special verse to our guest today. We'll ask him about it. Um, I'm your host, Sandra Flack. Welcome back to the Adoption and Foster Care Journey. I am thrilled to be with you today and grateful to have my voice back. If you are a regular follower, you know it's been quite a month. Uh, This is the first podcast that I'm actually recording in the month of June. Um, You can tell my voice sounds much better. Our May podcast episodes were pretty rough, including the one we did last week because I had recorded it in back in May. um, And I battled allergies all month, which for some reason took my voice away. And I have been doing this podcast. And before it was a podcast, it was a radio show. And I've been doing it, my gosh, at least 10 years. And I have never lost my voice for an entire month. I had to cancel recordings. And then I had to squeak in a few with a with a very hoarse voice just so that we would not miss a beat and you'd still have an episode to listen to. If you've been listening, thank you for putting up with that. Um, You know, it's been a real challenge because when you're a podcast host, an FASD trainer and speaker, and all of the things that I do requires my voice. And it was really challenging. And and, I mean, you can hear like, I'm probably 99.5% better, but it still tends to be a little bit raspy. Um, And the pollen here in upstate New York continues to be uh, just like crazy this year. Um, But I normally just deal with some allergy issues throughout the month of May when things start to come out. And then the rest of the year, I'm totally fine. But um, it's it's really, it's been a challenge. Um, So now that we're into June, allergy season is pretty much over for me. um, And just in time, because I am super excited to bring you our episodes focusing on and featuring adoptive and foster dads. We don't always get to hear from them. And um, the past few years, I've focused on the dads throughout the month of June in honor of Father's Day. Um, So I'm super excited that you get to hear from them, especially our dad that we have today. We have another great dad guest. So um, we're going to get to him. But first, please check out these announcements. Natalie Vecchione of the FASD Hope Podcast and Sandra Flack of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey Podcast would like to invite you to join their Hope for the FASD Journey, a virtual support community for parents and caregivers raising individuals with an FASD, diagnosed or not. This faith-based community includes an online bi-monthly support group, a monthly VIP conversation, and a private Facebook group which includes a video devotional from Natalie and Sandra every Saturday. 
To register, visit justicefororphansny.org forward slash training forward slash F-A-S-D. And I've got some online workshops coming up if you are interested. Um, Actually, this week, just right around the corner, Wednesday, June 6th, so you have time to get on it uh, if you're listening to this on a Monday when it normally releases, um, you might be able to catch this one. Uh, this is Monday, or sorry, Wednesday, June 6th at 1 p.m. Eastern. I'm offering a free, I call it a lunch and learn. It's an introduction to FASD workshop. Um, and, and we offer those at least once a month. Uh, and it is at 1 p.m. Eastern time. And also, again, it'll be offered in July. I think, I believe July, it will be July 12th, um, also at 1 p.m. Eastern. So if you're looking to get, you know, just an introduction to FASD, learn a little bit more, learn the primary, secondary, tertiary symptoms, how it's caused, the impact it has on the brain, and how we parent our kiddos who've been prenatally exposed. Um, so there's elements of the neurobehavioral model that I use. I use with my own children and um, I teach it. So it's an introduction to all of that. It's one hour and it's free uh, and it's online. You do have to register for it so that you'll receive the Zoom link. Um, if you're looking for something a little bit more than just a one hour introduction, um, I am offering a three-hour deep dive into FASD, also using the FACETS Neurobehavioral Model. And that is coming up on Thursday, July 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern. So it's 7 to 10 p.m. and it's three hours of content. It goes much deeper than the Lunch and Learn. You don't have to do the Lunch and Learn intro first because we're gonna cover everything that's in that Lunch and Learn um, plus more um, in the three hour. And these workshops are excellent for, for you as parents and caregivers, but also for grandparents, adult siblings of your kiddos, your child school teacher, Sunday school teacher, youth group leader, pastor, next door neighbor, aunt, uncle, whoever, anybody who is encountering your child um, would benefit from this training. So there is a a little bit of a fee for the three hour, um, but it is well worth it. And if you can, you know, whether it's you yourself jump on one of these calls or you get someone else too, it will really, really benefit um, your family, your kiddos especially, and your and your parenting journey. Um, we offer certificates of completion for all of our workshops. So if you are a foster parent and you need continuing, you know, credit education, um, you will get a certificate. Um, if you are a social worker licensed in New York State, we offer CEUs as well. So to register for any of these online workshops uh, or to check out all of the training that we have available, uh, you can visit our website, go to justicefororphansny.org and click on the button at the top of the page that says training and you'll see where it says FASD and um, you'll be able to see the ones that are available and the ones that you can register for. I believe there's a button now that says registration Um, and we will include a link Uh, to our website in the show notes for this episode so that you can easily find it. Um, And if you're interested in something that's not listed there, if you want, you know, you're looking for an FASD workshop for your support group that you're part of or your, um, you know, your child's school teachers or 
a, a, a bunch of your parent friends who want the training, um, you know, or if you're looking for a one-on-one, -on -one, like a coaching type of a thing, um, I offer it all. Just reach out to me. Um, I'll, I'll give my email address at the end of this episode. Also, the website you can reach out, and um, we'll definitely you know, really be able to accommodate whatever it is that you're looking for that you might be able, uh, that you might need and, um, and accommodate your schedule as well. Um, so lots of exciting things going on. So please stay tuned to this podcast so that you don't miss any of it. Make sure that you subscribe. Uh, we don't want you to miss any episodes and we want to make it easier for other foster adoptive and kinship caregivers to find this podcast as well so that they can be encouraged and equipped too. So be sure to subscribe, leave a review if you're listening on Apple, um, and tell your friends about it because we believe that this is an invaluable resource for every adoptive foster and kinship caregiver. So now to our guest. Today we have an adopted dad of five kiddos. Um, all of them are now teenagers and young adults. And he's also the area director for Care Portal in New York State and some of the other uh, northeastern states. He'll tell us about that. Please welcome my friend, colleague, and fellow FASD adoptive parent, Steve Poissant. Hey, Steve. Hi, Sandra. How are you? I am great. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. I get to chat with you like probably once a week at least because... You're our care portal boss, area director, <laughs> right? So we get to we get to work professionally, but also we always manage to swap FASD parenting stories because mm -hmm. we're both on that journey too. Mm -hmm. And I've had the privilege a few years ago, I think, that I, I got to interview your wife, Laura, and hear the story from her. But um, love to have you on as a dad and, and the, our series of dad episodes this month and want our audience to hear from you. So um, yeah, would you share your story? What led you and Laura to become foster parents, adoptive parents, and what started this whole thing? Yeah, absolutely. And, and thank you really for the opportunity to share. And, and you know, I, these kinds of opportunities, I, I really do look forward to them because like you said, you and I talk once a week or so. So it's just really comfortable to be able to talk to someone and feel like I'm speaking with a friend. And, you know, so again, thank you for the opportunity to share. But to answer your question, in terms of how I got involved and my wife and I got involved in all of this, our journey started Ooh, it seems weird to say this now, almost 21 years ago, which, my goodness, time just goes. <laughs> you know, I just, that's crazy. Like, I just immediately just took a pause and thought about 21 years ago this started. Um, and for us, it was really out of a desire to become a family and to have a family. And really, for us, it was a challenge and a loss that we were not planning on that I don't think anybody plans on. But for us, it was infertility issues and just not able to conceive children of our own. And so that in itself was just a life lesson that we had to go through and a grieving process that we had to work through um, on multiple fronts, you know, for my wife as, as a woman and her um, her challenges and an ability to to hold a pregnancy um, as a as a father, as a man feeling, you know, like I wasn't good enough and, you know, we couldn't make this happen. 
Um, and so it was a real difficult spot for us for, for quite some time, but we worked through, we prayed through, and eventually the Holy Spirit just laid it on us to come to the realization that it was more important for us to be a family than it was for us to create the family and that God had already created our family just differently. And so um, I happened to be working in a restaurant back then as a manager, and there was a couple at a table with this beautiful little girl couldn't have been more than a, a couple weeks old. And I just stopped by the table and asked how their dinner was doing. And then I said, oh, is she your granddaughter? And they said, oh, no, 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 no. We're foster parents. And I knew nothing about foster care at the time. And um, I got talking to them and really became very interested in the, in these people and their lives. And at the time, she had told me that this was her 82nd foster baby. And I was like, 80 wow. kids? Um I just couldn't comprehend, right? I, I couldn't comprehend. Fast forward, you know, months into this, these people became regulars and they came into this restaurant. I'm not exaggerating, two, three, sometimes four times a week. And I would talk with them and I would see this little one. And eventually I got up the nerve to hold this little baby and just fell in love immediately and uh, convinced Laura to come meet these people. And, and she said, I could never do foster care. I could never give a child back. I would get too attached. Um, wisdom over the years has taught me that's great like if you're not getting attached then you're doing it wrong right we're supposed to be attached um, and so we got got her to the restaurant we sat down met with these people for about four hours held that little child and when we walked out my wife laura said i don't care what it takes that kid's going to be ours and um that's <laughs> oh, exactly, wow. those were her exact words and almost two years later after going through the process of foster care trainings and certifications and background checks and all the work that goes into becoming foster adoptive parents. Um, we maintained a connection to that couple and would see the baby every now and then. Um, and yeah, two years later, we were selected to be the adoptive parents for that little child. Um, and it came, wow. it came in a, a kind of at a really difficult decision and put us at a crossroads because Everything we had hoped and prayed for was put in front of us at that moment um, with a small caveat. And the caveat was, you may adopt her, but there's a sister that we would like for you to take as well. And we had no idea. And um, and the sister was challenging, to say the least, right? I mean, very challenging. We had never met her, but the workers had shared stories with us. We just couldn't, we couldn't in our hearts feel as though we could provide the type of home and family that that girl needed. And so what we had worked and prayed for for so long, um, we had to make the most impossible decision and say, no, we can't. And we knew in doing so we were going to lose that little child that we had worked so hard for. And, um, wow. and that's exactly what happened. I mean, they, they said, we will do our best, but we're going to seek out another family that could take both children um, as they should try to keep these kids together. Um, fast forward, we actually got our first foster placement in the interim while this was going on. And uh, she came and she was challenging. She was a whole failure to thrive thing going on and she wasn't being fed. And so a lot of behaviors and things, even at seven months old, were already starting to manifest. And so it was just kind of interesting how all of this happened. And several months later, we received a call from the county saying, hey, if you're still interested in that other little girl that you first petitioned for, she's 
she's up for adoption and we would like to select you. And we said, okay. And they had found another home for her sister. And so they placed her for adoption in our house. And that really began, began our years of foster care and adoption. Subsequently, since then, we've had 16 foster children and then adopted five um, through the foster care system. Four of them are biologically related of our five children. And the fifth one is from a different family, but they all, they all have our last name, right? And they're, they're all, they're all part of our family now. Wow. So how old were they when they all joined your family? So the, yeah. did you, so this, the seven month old that you had yeah. that you were fostering, did you adopt her as yeah. well? So eventually she was adopted. So she was another hard lesson or, you know, life experience. She was with us for uh, several months. And then there was a resource. Um, at the time, they wouldn't have referred to this individual as a kinship person because she was not blood related. But we know today, based on today's definitions, because she had a close attachment, close bond to this child, she would be considered kinship right now. But she was um, like a fictive um, aunt that came forward and said, hey, I know the mom. I know this little girl. My husband and I are interested in helping. So they moved her from our house as a foster child into this other home. They raised her for approximately four or five months um, and had the, the idea and goal of reuniting this little child with her biological, with her birth mom. Um, again, very noble, very good thing to try to do, but it wasn't really theirs to make that happen. And so they surrendered her back into the system. And yeah, she came back to our house and she has been adopted since. So she was our second adopted daughter. And then the very first one that I taught, just told the story about at the restaurant, she was adopted as well. And then she has three half siblings that came to us over the years. And it, I always joke about this. At one point, we we had six kids under the age of five in our house, some adopted, some fostered. And it just seemed like every time a kid came, it was like we were being asked, are you interested in adopting this child also? And I always joke with my wife. I was like, I thought they were supposed to leave at some point. You know, they're always welcome. <laughs> that They can always come and stay as long as they need to. But I was like, I think either we're doing this wrong or, that, or someone's doing it wrong because they're all staying <laughs> and you know, they're all <laughs> blessings in their own way. So I, I'm grateful for it. Wow. So, so, you know, a lot of kids and you adopted five, what was the adjustment like? Cause we, we know there's trauma. Sometimes there's that prenatal exposure, you know, were there attachment issues, you know, what kinds of things were you dealing yeah. with? So D all of the above. Right. And we were much, you know, we were younger at that time. And so we didn't know what we didn't know. And um, yeah. And the interesting thing is, you know, parents in general, whether they be your own biological children or adopted or foster, whatever they are, you, you're learning as you go. You know, I can take all the examples right. and all the supports of everybody. But as we know, each child is uniquely made and uniquely individual. So, yes, there were many challenges that that second child that i mentioned that talk, you know was failure to thrive just basic things like attachment definitely was when i think about it now and i look back at it there was definitely a lack of attachment and so there wasn't the warm fuzzy cuddles there wasn't the 
um, the, the natural responses to things, meaning like when she was hungry, you figure most kids, babies at that age, six, seven months would cry, right? To say, feed me, feed me. <clears throat> she never cried. This She literally never cried. And we always thought, oh, this is just the best baby ever. She's super easy. She sleeps and all that. Now, again, experience teaches, has taught me that these are byproducts of the trauma that she went through, right? Removal from family, right. neglect, lack of being fed, lack of being held. All of these things conditioned her to say, I'm not even going to ask for it in the way a child would through crying or, or cooing or whatever it is. She just laid there, always had a smile on her face, but never complained about anything. <clears throat> and today, you know, as I look at my kids now, I can see how these past traumas have manifested in later years in life, right? And, and challenges that they're going to have in terms of attachment and bonding, social cues, missing them um, or overreacting to them, prenatal exposure. And I know this is, you know, something that you study and you're very, very knowledgeable on, but the prenatal exposure to alcohol and the effect that has had on several of our children as well, right? And the diagnosis of fetal alcohol and just having it be so prevalent in their lives and learning how to parent through that and parent differently. Because I'll tell you one thing, and, and for for all the, the, the dads and moms, but, you know, if we're, if we're talking dad show, you know, all the things that we may have brought to the table, thinking about what a, a good father looks like, I'll tell you, my script was flipped, <laughs> you know, like I, I I can't even at times I can't even put it into words how different I have to be as a dad and the different role or perception of what I think a dad is supposed to be based on the past trauma that my kids have, because it's nothing like I feel how I wouldn't necessarily parent a child who didn't have trauma or any kind of diagnosis in their life. So. Wow. Yeah, there's definitely a lot. How old are is everybody now? Because they're all still home, right? All five? Um, well, yes. Well, actually, one's way at college, but home now because college is up. So I have a 20-year-old, 19, 18, 17, and 15. Three girls, two boys. Wow. So you're living the dream with all those oh, teenagers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's a good way to put it. <laughs> yeah. Kind of a little bit facetious there. <laughs> you know, because you um, laugh. I, I, you're right. I'm like, oh, my gosh. People are like, how do you do it? How do you do it? And, you know, they would ask us that all the time when we had all the littles. And we would have to take two minivans everywhere because we couldn't fit all the car seats and everything in the mini in one van. And I'm thinking, you know, every now and then, I would totally go back to those days where we were lugging five or six car seats. Yeah. Versus. Easier. Yes. <laughs> yes. I could corral them. I could put them in and buckle them in and life was good. It's great now, yeah. but it's definitely a different season. Yes. It's definitely. So yeah, I want to talk about the FASD, the fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, yeah. um, because I know you have some kids diagnosed. How did you learn about FASD? What were the symptoms that you guys were experiencing? Yeah. So it was a really confusing time in our life because it, it was... Trying to understand, like, okay, let me go back real quick here. Sorry. One of the one of the most prevalent things that really came out quickly 
was the inability to retain information on a day-to-day basis. And what I mean by that, and, and for some of your listeners, if you're not familiar, what would happen is we could sit down with one of our children who have the FASD diagnosis and teach them two plus two equals four, and they would understand it. They would get the concept and everything would be great. And then the following day, when we would do a review, we'd say, okay, now it's two plus two. And their response would be, I don't know, you never taught me that. And at first it was very frustrating because the natural parental response is like, what are you talking about? We did this a hundred times yesterday. And look, here's the piece of paper where you wrote it out 15 times and you know this math fact, we've done this. And for them to say things like, no, I didn't write that or no, that's not mine it was really difficult to try to understand if this was being defiant or if there was something else. Well, we learned um, that that started to manifest in in other areas of their lives, right? Like social skills, um, certain um, responses to things, right? And, and safety and, and impulse control issues and things that a lot of people could just check off and say, well, that's part of development. And yes, there is a certain level that belongs to that. But when we really looked at it, it was times 100, right? Like I have my one child now who, if you said, okay, he would be jumping out of a plane, jumping off of cliffs. He would take every risk type behavior you could think of and not think twice about any of the safety components that have to go into executing that type of thing. I'm not saying there's anything wrong. If someone wants to skydive, go for it. But in his world, it's, well, just put me in a plane and I'll jump. And, oh, it doesn't matter if my parachute doesn't open because I'd be above water and I would just land in the water. You and I, who can think through this and think forward and forward thinking, realize mm, probably not going to land as well as you think you might, right? And so these <laughs> yeah. are the types of things that just for us really started to show that there was something more going on and that we needed to try to get to the bottom of it because it wasn't just all trauma-based responses. It was just, it it truly wasn't there. I mean, and we often talk about it as an invisible disability and it it really is. Like we would see, uh, one of the other things that I clearly remember is that these kids, our, our kids would just uh, perseverate on this oh, one yeah. topic, right? Like we would say, hey, this weekend, you know, if there's time, we're going to go, whatever, to Burger King and grab dinner for you, right? If there's time. Now that most of us would process and say, okay, well, if there isn't time, then we're not going to make it. A couple of our kids will be like, for days, remember, we're going to Burger King, we're going to go to Burger King, we're going to go to Burger King, the same thing over and over and over. And over and over, we would say, if there's time, if there's time, if there's time. And then if that doesn't happen, (laughs) they do not do well with change or disruption in schedule at all. And so those types of things started to come out as they got older also. And that's really what we started to seek things out and seek assistance and um, found Christy Pachenko and the team out at U of R and really just said, we think there's something more going on. Honestly, credit goes to my wife who really dug in and, and started researching what does this mean when online, and it really started to move us towards that FASD 
um, spectrum and just trying to figure out, is this them? And uh, that's when we got connected to U of R. Yeah, so the University of Rochester out there, Christy Petranko runs the FASD clinic. So you were able to get diagnoses. Did you have, like, I know a lot of times, and I know Christy's amazing because she understands Dr. Petranko specializes in FASD, uh, but so many doctors want maternal admission, you know, that birth mom admits yeah. she drank, um, the facial features, all that kind of stuff. So so did you have any of that? How was the diagnostic process? Yeah. So we didn't know what to expect. <laughs> um, and yes, and so in terms of verification, if mom drank during pregnancy, I wasn't aware, I don't know that Laura was aware either when we first went in that we needed to be able to prove that admission. And for us, it was difficult because um, we didn't have any prior records of birth mom for some of our kids other than police reports, sadly, right? Like that was all that we had. Birth certificates, um, um, health records of the kids, all that stuff when they were adopted, all of them called out substance abuse. None of them called out alcohol use. Um, however, we had corroborating articles and um, police records that truthfully we kind of uncovered on our own. I mean, we Googled stuff just to kind of see. And what we found was that unfortunately during um, some of these articles and, and records that were on file, they lined up to the pregnancy of our children or, and the dates that they would have been in utero still. So we were able to use those as um, ways to uh, basically verify that there was alcohol consumption during pregnancy. For some of our other kids, it was the facial features that you mentioned, right? The eye space and the philtrum and all of the different things that go along with it. So there was a bit of an easier diagnosis Just you know, I don't like to say that, maybe it's the wrong term, but it was visual, it was visible on a couple of our kids. And so it was much easier to diagnose. I think where a lot of the challenge came in was so many of the places we went to and local physicians, you know, um, they, they do great work, but oftentimes what we would hear is, oh, your child's on the autism spectrum. And it just mimicked so many of the autism diagnosis that, you know, I could see how a family could easily just say, oh, okay, our child has autism and let's treat as such. But I'll tell you, when we pressed in and had that opportunity to really uncover their histories, and tie it back to the behaviors and the things that we were seeing, it was very clear that it, it was FASD and that was you know what the diagnosis ended up being. In some cases, it was dual diagnosis with FASD and autism. Um, so yeah, a little bit of everything going on wow. there. So, so not all five of them got a diagnosis, but some of them did, No, right? not all five. So um, I have... There's one with the full FASD diagnosis, a second one with, uh, oh, forgive me, ARND, alcohol related. <laughs> related. Neurological. Neurodevelopmental. Neurodevelopmental. Yeah. <laughs> I can't get all the, the words right. Um, yeah. Another one that is currently in testing um, and more than likely going to come back with an FASD diagnosis. Um, and then the other one, it, the other two, um, we have set up for additional testing um, and the one just 
who is away at school is really adamant about not being tested. <laughs> so we're navigating that that piece of our, our family right now is, you know, she sees diagnosis and sees disability and doesn't want to be viewed differently. And, and so we're just kind of navigating those waters right now and praying through all of that. That's one of mine. He doesn't want to, you know, except for he recognizes he needs certain supports, right? He Certain things he does need help with and he wants that help and he can advocate for himself to get some of that help, but he doesn't want the label. He doesn't want to be right. different you know, yep. so he, he totally, I, I, we get that. It's yep. that same age because he's he's going to be 20. Yeah. So, yep. um, yeah, very, very similar there. So what are the, um, because your kids are older, have you been able to access services, resources? What are you guys doing to help support and accommodate them? Um, yeah, so for, the, for my boys who both have a diagnosis, it is, I think one of the biggest challenges for us and and services was getting services. If I'm going to be very mm-hmm. honest, in in New York State, they they aren't recognizing FSD through the Office of Persons with Disabilities, Developmental Disabilities, I should say. And so, for services through them, it was a challenge of well, we could go with an autism, you know, diagnosis or whatever. And I just we didn't. We weren't comfortable with just putting a diagnosis that wasn't there so we could get the services. So um, fortunately and unfortunately, a couple, three years ago, as we all know, when COVID hit, right, all our kids were pulled from the public schools. They were attending public school. And so we started, like everybody else, kids were working on schoolwork at home. And we really noticed a significant change in our boys actually, and their ability to focus on what they were doing outside of a classroom environment. And so what worked for us was um, my wife, at the time she was teaching preschool and the preschool had shut down. She made the decision that she wanted to stay home and homeschool the two boys. And so um, we brought them home and they stayed home and she's been homeschooling them for three years now, coming up on four years. other services we worked with um, Access VR um, for mm-hmm. our oldest daughter, um, and for our second daughter right now, we're finishing up the paperwork and the process with the Access VR to help get those supports beyond high school, right? And that, as any parent who's dealing with this, we know that's a, a concern, right? Like they're good when they're in my house and I can protect them and I can watch them, but how are they going to do this on their own? I think it takes a new level when you're working with children who have this kind of disability that they're working through because those life skills and being able to manage those skills and do it independently, consistently, and that's the big part is that consistently is is certainly a real fear that at least my wife and I have been dealing with. So when Access VR steps in and they're able to help with things like assessing whether or not they they should be going for a driver's license, right? Um, helping them through the college years or trade school years. My one daughter who went away for a little bit, um, she had supports built in to help with not only the financial aspect of the schools, but putting people in place to help her with tutoring or extra time with tests, very similar to like an IEP 
or, mm -hmm. a, you know, 504 plan or something along those lines that you would get in a high school level carried on beyond that into the college years. And so really getting those kinds of services in place um, for them was really helpful. Above that, I would say putting services in place for Laura and I, though, have has been just as important because I'm not going to lie. Sometimes you feel like you are banging your head on a wall when, when this happens. Right? Yeah. I mean, I anybody who knows me and knows me well, know I would lay down my life for any one of my kids in, in a split second. And there are some times, though, just like they are really just poking the bear hard today <laughs> you do your best to hang <laughs> yeah. on and stay level-headed you know we my wife and I always joke around we say you know listen we always love our kids I don't always like their decisions but we always love them, yes right? that's right that's real that's, right. that's reality right there yeah yeah Wow. Yeah. So you've certainly been on the journey. And I know we, we like to swap our war stories a lot. Yeah. And, and um, you know, I appreciate being able to do that because we really, you know, when you're living this, it's, it's very helpful to be able to connect with other people who are on the same journey. So you're not feeling so alone. And I know, I know yeah. so many of our listeners are going to, going to be able to relate to that. So just to pivot a little bit here, because along the way, you know, you also worked professionally in this space of adoption and, and foster care ministry. Yep. So share with us about what you were doing prior to Care Portal, and then yep. we'll get to Care Portal. So my professional career, I was actually, I actually went to school for human services and social work. And then when I got out of school, like a lot of people had student loans to pay back and realized that social work doesn't pay a whole lot. <laughs> was a little too late at that point and so you know the secular world got a hold of me and I was thinking to myself I need to make money so I went through and I worked in restaurants for quite some time and I was a corporate trainer and did all sorts of stuff like that to make money so I could pay back some loans and then got into a point where I, I, I ended up with a large technology technology distribution company and um, worked as like a my title was business development manager. Um, and really what I did is I oversaw a relationship between a major software company, which everybody is probably very familiar with and has on a laptop on their system, and this distribution company. I did that for about 11 years. And then as God would have it, right, life was good. I was making great money and I was really happy about that. And the stress level was through the roof. And so I, I was slowed down. I unfortunately had a Yes, believe it or not, at 42 years old, a heart attack. Um, and my stress oh, wow, level, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. My stress level and the travel, because I was traveling West Coast, East Coast constantly, um, having to provide big numbers, produce big numbers, big reports. And I was just, yeah, I was beyond stress. But it was the perception of, hey, I'm the husband. I'm the father, I got to make this big money, I got to provide for the family. So I'm going to just do what I got to do, which is okay. But it was literally killing me. And um, after 11 years, I was called into my boss's office, and there's a very big company. And I thought they wanted me to provide an update on a report for a new launch that was happening. And someone from HR was there. And I was like, Oh, this isn't going to go well, is it? And uh, it wasn't bad. You know, when you're in a big company like that, they often outsource and start at the top down. So I was 
transitioned off and um, it was the opportunity that I needed to have. And so I ended up going to a local foster adoption care agency um, called Gateway Longview. And um, they, they called me about a week or two after I had been let go. And they said, hey, we hear you might be looking for a job and uh, we're looking for a home finder and a case planner, are you interested? And so I said, yes. And so I ended up getting hired by them and I worked as a home finder, certifying foster and adoptive families, um, training new families, placing children, working with kids. And during that time also, um, my pastor at my church had made an announcement that they were going to do something about foster care and adoption. And if you knew anything about it, they wanted to hear from us. And so my wife was like, hey, we know about this. You should call them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did. And I sat down and talked with them. And yeah, that was about, uh, that was 11, almost 12 years ago now. And from that conversation, a ministry called Every Child was born. And I was working at the at Gateway Longview as a worker, as well as leading this out part time as the executive director, and then eventually moved into leading it as the executive director full time just about five years ago, five, six years ago. So I led it for about six years. And during that time, got introduced to you through Care Portal and opportunity and the Holy Spirit spoke and said, it's time to move on. And so currently now serve as the area director for the state of New York and oversight into New Jersey and some in Pennsylvania as well for Care Portal. Yeah. So I find that to be, I love that part of the story because I was filling that role and we were um, in the process of, of partnering together and every child started doing Care Portal And we were able to um, be able to bring you guys on board to do Care Portal out there in the western part of the state. Um, And then eventually you stepped into that role as area director, which I had been temporarily um, filling, um, but not very well because it was totally not my skill set. You were doing great. (laughs) Well, I'm great. I got you on board and then handed you off the role. So like, here, Steve, you do this because you're phenomenal at it. So I am so grateful, grateful for that. So um, for our listeners who might not know, because we're, you were talking shop here when we talk Care Portal, but for our listeners who might not know, kind of give us that elevator pitch of what is Care Portal? Yeah. So in a nutshell, Care Portal's a technology that drives action for children and families in crisis. That's that's the 50,000 foot view. So really what it is, is um, the best way to describe it is, is think of it as like a care sharing technology. So when we think about care sharing or sharing anything, if you talk about something like an Uber, we refer to it as ride share. So somebody who needs a ride can, you know, open up an app on their phone, look up Uber, type in where they want to go and pop someone shows up in their car to pick you up and take you where you need to go. Care Portal is a care sharing technology, in which case there are thousands of kids in foster care um, all across the United States. And these kids need certain things in terms of not only tangible needs, but they need supports. The families need supports. Um, the workers who are uncovering these needs need support. So where uh, Care Portal steps in is 
as a worker is in the field and uncovering the needs of these kids and families, they have an opportunity to go back into their systems, input that need into their system. And it could be, let's say, as an example, a child may need a crib in order for them to be placed back home with their birth family or a crib to go to a foster family so that they can take the placement to keep the child safe. The worker puts that into the system and the system then shoots it out to a network of churches who are enrolled with their own volunteers who have a chance to respond in real time to help meet the need of that individual family. And they respond multiple ways. They can respond by helping to fund meet that need. They might have a crib in their basement or garage or somewhere that they no longer use. And they can respond and say, I have a crib and I can deliver it. Then they bring it to the family. They may work alongside or a business might be able to respond and help meet that need as well. The thing that attracted me most, though, to Care Portal when I was still leading out every child because we were getting need requests constantly. We just couldn't keep up with it and we needed it to be automated. The thing that really sold it for us was that as the volunteers are responding, they're also the ones that are delivering the items to these families, to these kids that are in need. And what it did was it opened the door to a connection in a community that the family may or may not have had a positive connection. Oftentimes, and I can say this because I was in the world, the only connections they have are to the workers. And Although these workers have a heart and a passion to help these families, they are still many times viewed as a threat because this is the very system that is pulling these children from these kids, from these families, or you know, bringing them back home or who can make them come back home. So as a worker, although my intention may have been great and honorable, I was not always viewed that way. So as a responder from a church and a community person who's going to deliver that item, I can now make a meaningful one-on-one -on -one connection with that individual and start to establish a, a positive path for them to walk down, right? And, and an opportunity for them to get to, for, for us and for me still, perhaps to get to know the Lord, right? I, I think that the scripture that I shared with you from James 5.20, if you know people who have wandered off from God's truth, don't write them off. You know, go after them, get them back and you'll, you will rescue precious lives from destruction. And that is really what has driven me for so many years. And I think it drives, you know, it drives so many of what the workers do. And, and, and I don't want people wandering lost and, and Care Portal really just helps bridge that connection. I mean, I could, I don't want to go too long and bore people, but I'll tell you, it, God is opening doors with this technology. And I know you know the center because you guys are using it out in the capital region. It just, it has bridged gaps between churches and, is, and, and the people in their community who have needs. It has provided connection for their congregations to people. And the biggest gap of all that I think, I, and I continue to see a bridge, is that between the church and the local governments, right? Like, if you would have asked me 20 years ago if this was even possible, I would have been like, no, there's no way a church <laughs> and a local social service department are going to work together. They have very different ways of approaching things, although the end result is all common and we desire the same thing, safety, love, support for these kids. We want to improve their well-being. In fact, we want to take a well-being approach to serving these kids. This would not have happened 
20 years ago. So to watch this happen now where I can actually go into a county and say, hey, this is available. Oh, and the church is the one that's going to be responding. And I can go to a church and say, hey, these needs are out there and you maybe didn't know about it, but these workers are asking you for help. It's a beautiful mixture. And when it, it when it's working and it is working, <laughs> it, it, just, yeah. it, it is a beautiful picture of the way the gospel is just supposed to be lived out. So. Yeah, that's that's a lot of what we see too, and I know we've heard from caseworkers who have expressed, you know, because you you mentioned they're often looked at, you know, by the families in crisis as, you know, the the bad guys who take kids away, yeah. and we've we've heard from social workers who have said, you know, we are normally looked at as the ones who takes their kids away, but now we can give them something. Yeah. Now we feel like we have something to offer them and we we can offer them this through Care Portal. So I know it's brought great encouragement to the workers and for the churches, um, just the fact that they have, they can use the Care Portal and it's discipleship for their congregation, right? Because yeah. they're learning how to walk out the gospel yeah. and it's outreach ministry into their communities, right into their own backyards. Yeah. Um, phenomenal. And like you said, it's working. And I went on before we had our conversation and just kind of checked because this is a technology platform. It tracks the, the numbers, the data. So the impact in New York State and nationally, incredible. So nationwide, since its inception, which I can't even remember if it is eight years or plus years since Care Portal started, um, we're, they're at nearly 200,000 children served across the country. And it's not even in every state yet. It's like 28 states or, or, or something like mm -hmm. that. Um, and, and, and these are 200,000 children served by churches using the Care Portal. And then here in New York, as of just a little while ago, the number is 5,168 children served. Um, and that's just in four years, since late 2018, when we first brought it to the first county, Schenectady County. Um, you know, and I find that it's an honor. Um, it's an honor to serve. I know the folks at Care Portal, we often say, right, we get to do this. Yeah. Um, and it really is an honor and a privilege to be able to step into this space and and help prevent children from entering care whenever possible, so strengthening and supporting families, helping with kinship placements and foster placements and reunification yeah. and just seeing another whole part of it beyond the adoption and foster care um, part that we're, we're used to being in. Yeah, yeah. And I can't re reiterate that enough, the whole connection piece beyond just delivery. because. Yeah. You know, one of the things, and I, I think I said it to you when I was first talking to you about Care Portal all those years ago, I was like, I don't want, I didn't want my ministry to become an Amazon, right? I didn't want it to just right. be like a delivery mechanism for items because there's enough, there are enough ministries and, and opportunities for that to happen. We were really looking for a way to make that connection and keep people in touch with one another, and just having that opportunity to expose someone, and I don't mean this in a, a negative connotation, but to expose someone who ha who doesn't know that literally two streets down from me, you know, in an affluent neighborhood that I might be living in, there is a family struggling with poverty, right? You might not know that. You might not know that, you know, that this family just for whatever reason, maybe it was medical issues and, and they couldn't take care of one of their children because 
whatever. Two of them are in an accident. Who knows what the reason why a kid comes into care? There's millions of them. And that could be happening in your backyard. And so when Care Portal gives people the opportunity to have visibility into that and to help and, and you know, and to make a difference in someone's lives, it is a game changer. And I've all, I often struggle with how do you how do you put that into words? And I'm sure you can agree with me at some point, and it's odd because this is a podcast, but at the same time, it's like, how do you really help people understand what it feels like to go out on a delivery and help meet that need to help see other people's lives, right? And to treat them with dignity and, and respect and understand that, hey, there is a whole nother world that I might not even be familiar with, but I can I can be part of, right? And and it is mm-hmm. absolutely God's intention for us to be part of these each other's worlds and supporting each other in that capacity. So you open the can of worms and yeah. talk care portal all day. Yeah. <laughs> I know. We we could definitely talk care portal all day. And 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 that's one of the things we love about it too, is that connection piece in, you know, we're going in and and you know, yeah, we're bringing a bed or a crib or a something. But we're also bringing in the light of Christ into what was probably a dark situation for them, planting seeds, in some cases, maybe watering seeds. You know, we've heard stories of, of you know, a single mom who, um, you know, struggling, just moved in with her parents, but needed to, you know, beds for her kids and all of that. And, and another, you know, a church will come and, you know, in one of our churches, there was a, um, a single ad- adoptive mom. She was a single adoptive mom, bunch of kids, and she used to bring her kids with her on Care Portal connections or yeah. deliveries. And she met with a you know a family and her kids would start playing with the mom's kids. And then the two moms could chat. And then, you know, then the conversation was, you know, the mom who was the recipient of the items being brought, you know, said, well, you know, I've, I've often thought I'd like to get my children in Sunday school. And then the mom delivering the items was like, well, our church is having a VBS next month. And, you know, we could ride together like we could, you know, so those kinds of connections can happen. And maybe you got to that home because you were bringing a bed, but then look at what happened, yeah. you know? So we hear those kinds of stories a lot. And sometimes there's not a big connection that's made, but you're definitely planting a seed. A lot of our churches bring children's Bibles, children's storybooks, um, information about their church if a, if a family would want to reach out. So um, there's just so much ministry that's taking place. Um, the technology is just the part that makes the connection possible yeah. where it wouldn't have happened otherwise. And, um, you know, yeah, so you and I could talk about this forever because we're passionate about it. <laughs> um, and for our listeners, you know, whatever state you're in, find out if there's a care portal, get involved um, because it, it's incredible. And it's in many states, not all states, but it is in many states. And if it's not in your state, you could be part of bringing it there, right? Yeah, and um, if, I'm going to add one last piece to it, right? So we've talked about the churches yeah. and the workers and all that stuff, but another really cool component to all of it is that it is all-inclusive. So uh, again, if you're a local business or, or you know, uh, a, another charity organization, whatever, just because you may not be part of the church that's the responding church, you can still participate. I mean, that was one of the cool things also is that we were able to get local businesses involved who have a very strong philanthropic committee and they're looking for ways to help meet needs. And so we could bring them on board 
knowing that we were always going to keep the church at the point of connection, right? So if I'm a business and, you know, we have businesses that are like, okay, once a month, we're going to go in, we're going to look at all the needs that are out there. We're going to pick one that we want to help support and they could support financially. They could support by providing the items. Um, and then they're connected to a church in that area who's going to help deliver the needs, right? So it is. it includes everybody. And that was... Yeah, and one of the other things that I just, I loved about the program. And, you know, as I was getting ready to transition from the executive director role of the ministry I was leading into this, I just kept praying on it. And again, I clearly just kept hearing from the Holy Spirit that this is this is going to be a, a massive movement for my kingdom. And so I'm very proud and very happy to be part of it. And yeah, I would love to help anybody get connected to Care Portal that's interested. Yes, absolutely. So yes, we're going to put a link to careportal.org in the show notes for this podcast so that folks can check it out um, if they want to look at a little bit more. Steve, as we wrap up, you're an adoptive dad of five teens, some with FASD. Um, it's fair to say you're, you know, very well could be in the hardest part of the journey, right? Um, the parenting journey. So a um, couple of questions. The first one being, what sustains you? What helps you along the way on this journey? So I, I think what helps me is is relying back on the Lord all the time. I mean, that that is really the number one thing for me. Um, there, there, There's the usuals, right? I do have supports. I have people. I have friends who I can go to. Um, and be able to talk through. My wife is absolutely my number one supporter and being able to lean in on each other. I think, um, again, I I just have to keep going back. The Lord is really what sustains me. And I I can try to take this into my own hands and try to parent through it. And I have, I mean, I am certainly not sitting on this recording with you and saying, I've mastered this, I've got this, done it perfect every time i can assure you i have five teenagers that will tell you i don't do it perfect every time um but i i really live by that like the fact that he he's the driver right and i have to be able to surrender in those times where i feel like i need to take the most control those are times where i absolutely just have to put my hands up and say it's not mine to control and and recently i i you know, as teenagers, we do our best to try to keep as much of the electronic stuff as possible, limited, it's difficult, right? But they've got their phones for most of them, and I'm watching them text, and they're on this, and they're on that. And the the interesting thing is it got me thinking about that and the, the analogy of in my own life, right, is, is Jesus an app or my operating system? And which one is he? And is he just someone that I'm going to every now and then click on and be like, hey, I need you now, but okay, now I don't, I'm going to go to the next best thing. Or is it my phone and my life won't even power on without him, right? That's the approach I have to take. And it's the approach that I would encourage, you know, any of the dads that are listening and any of the fathers, any of the the soon-to-be dads or, or the dads who are hopeful and prayerful, becoming a dad, whatever your role looks like. I think as as men, sometimes 
we have this notion that we have to come in, we have to be in control. We're the fixers. We're the ones that are the glue and holding it all together, which my wife will kindly remind me that, no, that is not the case. But, you know, just as a man in general, it's just our natural desire to want to do those things. So to let go, and it's so cliche, and let God is not always a natural, easy thing for us to do. But it is the only thing, right? And sometimes when we do that, sometimes when we let go and we let God just do what he's supposed to do, things are really sweet, right? They, they turn out well, and, and most of the time that's the case. Sometimes, though, we get results that aren't the results we were hoping for. Sometimes it's a little bit bitter, but I will always say like the Lord's cup is always better, even when it's bitter, right? I will take that approach to everything that I'm doing. That includes the kids that I'm helping to raise with my wife, the children that have come and gone out of my house, the children that I have had to remove and place somewhere else, any family or parent that I'm working with or have worked with, he is always in the driver's seat, right? Always, always, always. And so I guess my, you know, word of encouragement to these dads and the fathers out there is take a breath sometimes and step back, right? Just step back and let him be the driver of all that you're doing. Don't make him, don't make the Lord your app. Make him the operating system. That That's going to keep your head above water. I love that. Love it. Is he your app or your operating system? I'm going to use that quote. Okay. That is that is great. So, Steve, I know you and I could talk forever. We usually do, but yeah. we will we will wrap it up. But I want to thank you again for, for being on the show today and for all that um, you have done and are doing to serve children and families in crisis, especially now with Care Portal. Um, I know uh, us, me speaking as the IP here in the Capital Region, and, and I'm sure the other IPs um, across the state, you know, we're just grateful to have you um, le leading leading the charge here and supporting us, and, and just appreciate all that you're doing, and and um, and and love this your 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 story and your testimony, and and um, make sure you say tell tell Laura we said hello. I will absolutely, and likewise, thank you for the time and all that you guys are doing out there. But without people like you and your your ministries and your organizations. Nothing's happening, so keep up the great work. We appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Thanks for being on the show again. My pleasure. Wow. Thank you for listening to the Adoption and Foster Care Journey today. I hope you were inspired by Steve's story. Um, like I said, we're going to include uh, a link to careportal.org in the show notes for this episode. Um, be sure to tune in next week. We're going to have another, uh, we're going to feature another amazing adoptive foster dad story. Um, so you're not going to want to miss that. Uh, in addition to inspiring you, we'd also like to equip you for your parenting journey. Um, if you'd like to learn more about FASD, how to apply the neurobehavioral model uh, to accommodate your children for success, if you want to take advantage of any of our trainings, register for an online workshop, check out all of our resources available. Again, just go to our website, justicefororphansny.org, uh, and there's a link in the show notes for the website as well. If you're interested in booking an online or in-person workshop for your group, agency, or even just yourself, a little bit of coaching maybe you're feeling like you're needing, contact me again, 
through the website or by email. You can email me at sandraflack at justicefororphansny.org. And remember, our hope for the FASD virtual, let me start over because it's a mouthful, our hope for the FASD journey virtual support community um, is here. We walk with you through your parenting journey as well. Um, We just, big group of moms, we're kind of growing uh, and we meet together three times a month via Zoom. We pray for one another. We encourage one another. We have topics we discuss and address. We have our VIP guest speaker. You're going to want to check that out um, as well as our workshops. All of it is on the website, so I hope you check it out. And if you enjoyed the show, be sure to let us know by subscribing and leave a review and, you know, let your fellow adoptive and fostering friends know so that they can listen and be encouraged and equipped too. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Justice for Orphans. You can also find me, Sandra Flack, on both of those platforms as well. And again, I am grateful that you spent your valuable time with me today. I am thrilled to have you along for the journey. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey podcast, brought to you by Justice for Orphans. We hope you were encouraged today. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review and share it with your fellow foster and adoptive parent friends so they can be encouraged too. Be sure to find and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Justice for Orphans. And check out our website for vital resources at justicefororphansny.org.